Um, with that being said, it is my privilege this morning to introduce uh, our guest speaker. So as you guys, uh, I think, if, again, if you're new, I want to keep explaining this so we understand. Um, we as elders, uh, so we have uh, three elders, myself, Adam Ringo down here, James Piscasio. Our job is to uh, kind of lay out the doctrine of the church, the capital T teaching of the church, and to make sure that we, everything we do here is aligned with our confessional statement. And, and part of that is also to teach. And so our elders will do uh, some of the teaching here on Sunday mornings. But we also uh, read in, in uh, like Colossians, Paul says that we should be teaching one another, that we have gifted people both inside our body and outside our body, men, women, uh, elders, non-elders, who are gifted to teach and to use their gifts of teaching to build up the body. And so we, from time to time, will open up space here for folks to, to teach uh, that are not elders, and we want to celebrate that, and it's good and right. And so uh, this morning... We're really privileged to have uh, a guest, Dr. Brian Loritz. Uh, Brian is uh, many things. I could go on and on about. Um, he's, he's an author. Um, most important things, though, that you should know about him, uh, Brian, is he loves Jesus. Um, he's dedicated to Jesus, to his word. He's a, he's a uh, husband. He's a father of a couple of boys. Um, and he is uh, currently serving as teaching pastor at Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, which is uh, a church that actually helped Soma get started. Uh, almost 10 years ago. Um, so Brian serves as the teaching pastor there and is also the founder and the president of the Kynos movement, which exists to help equip churches uh, who want to become or who are multi-ethnic. Um, and so Brian is a leader in that space. I'm really grateful for his voice um, and his presence. And so Brian has been a personal encouragement to me. He's a friend. We exist in a kind of a network of churches called the Summit Collaborative that we partner with to do church planting and to learn. We'll be gathering tonight and even into tomorrow with Brian um, so again, we, we, we don't exist alone as a church. We have lots of friends and allies, and we're thankful for that. And so let's uh, extend a warm welcome to Brian as he comes to share from God's Word with us. Well, what a joy it is to be with you. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is we're going to be hanging out today. Uh, again, let me just say thank you for the kind and gracious invitation to come um, I, you know, I really consider myself from California, so this white stuff descending from the clouds is, I'm like, what in the world? Um, but, um, you know, in California, when we, uh, seriously, when I, when I pastored in California, um, if it would rain on a Sunday, um, I, I'm, I'm not being, um, I'm not hyping this up at all, I could count on a 20% drop-off in attendance. So I'm encouraged by your faith. You brave the elements to be here. Um, I was praying about what should I share with you all today. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of times when I go to places uh, that have multiple services, I'll preach the same things, uh, the same sermon. But I just felt led of the Lord to do two separate sermons uh, centered around the fruit of the Spirit. And so the first service, we were in Hosea chapter 3. And we took a deep dive into what does it look like to love? And what does that look like for me as an individual? Uh, what does that look like for our, for our church? Um, this service, I, I want to talk about a fruit of the Spirit that I'm sure you guys are, are crushing, that you are excelling at, um, but that maybe me and one other person could use some help. Uh, I want to talk about patience. Um, I, I heard a few grunts. Uh, but I, I want to talk about patience. To help us with that, James chapter 5, pick me up in verse 7. James writes, here it is, 
Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being, here's that word again, patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. I think he's trying to make a point. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love this. Make, make note of this phrase. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering, and here it is again, patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke of the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained, synonym for patience, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Bless you. And you have seen, that was a cute sneeze, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. God, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged, Lord God, of um, what you are doing through this body, in this body, in this section of your vineyard. Thank you for your sustaining power and presence in this church as they have navigated um, the difficulties of the pandemic. Thank you that, Lord God, you are strengthening and again sustaining. We pray that what lies ahead is greater than what's been in the rear view. Father, we've all gone through some difficulties. And if we keep inhaling and exhaling, there will be more difficulties to come. What kind of people should we be? So, Lord God, would you unveil that to us? Stand in my body, think with my mind, and speak with my tongue those things you'd have us know, say, and do. Stir us. May we leave here more inspired, more committed, more devoted to you. Save someone's soul, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the worst things that could ever happen to an oyster is to have lodged within the confines of its shell a little teeny tiny grain of sand. Now, now, normally when this happens, you know, this oyster 99.9 times out of 100 can easily locate this little grain of sand and expel or remove it from its premises and go on about its day. But, but there are those very rare times when try as this oyster may, it just can't get rid of this grain of sand. It's in a situation it can't change. It's in a circumstance it just can't get out of. It's at this moment where this oyster finds itself irritated, frustrated, exacerbated, and every other kind of unsanctified aided. If I was with a different crowd, I would quote a 90s urban poet, okay, rapper, 
It's at this moment where this oyster feels as if it's about to lose its mind up in here. Oh, that works? Does that work? Didn't know. Up in here. But it's at this moment when something beautiful happens. It's as if the oyster says, if I can't get rid of this grain of sand, let me make the most of it. So it finds this grain of sand and starts to coat it over and over and over again with a liquid substance that, that ladies, when it solidifies and calcifies, it turns into something you pay top dollar for. It's called a pearl. <laughs> Think of that, ladies. Next time you put some pearls on, you are literally wearing someone's bad day. Without any irritation, without any frustration, without any sense of, I'm about to lose my mind, no pearls. What's true for this oyster is also what's true for you and I. There are times in our lives when we will find ourselves irritated, frustrated, and exacerbated by life's little grains of sand. There are times in our lives where we will try everything we can to get out of that situation or circumstance, but we just can't do it. God has sent me all the way from warm North Carolina to tell you he has a call on your life and mine. He wants to turn us into a pearl of great price. He wants to turn us into a trophy of his grace. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, Greek word poema, from which we get the English word poem from. Your mama and daddy may not have planned on you being here. And by the way, one of the ways you know that is if your closest sibling is a decade older than you, you was a surprise. <laughs> but to God, there are no surprises. You've been created on purpose and for a purpose. And God wants to lift you up as a trophy of his grace as a pearl of great price. And so if I was in a chocolate church, cue the Hammond B3 organ, amen. That's shouting stuff. Let's take a couple of laps around the building. Make me a pearl, make me a pearl, make me a pearl. But now for the un-American portion of this sermon, our problem is while we want the destination, we want nothing to do with the journey or the process. Because there are no such things as pearls. See, see, our problem is we want to get to where we're going quick, fast, and in a hurry. But if you could tour God's kitchen, you would be shocked to discover that in God's kitchen, there are no microwaves, only crock pots. So God says, hey, Brian, I've got a call in your life. I, I, I want you to be here. I, I want you to get you to a place of fall-off-the-bone, succulent faith. But you're here. And the worst thing I can do, Brian, is to give you a blessing that you do not have the character infrastructure to support. 
So in order to move you from here to here, I've got to stick you in my divine crock pot and, 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 and put a lid on top of you to where you can't get out of it. Your social network can't solve it. The amount of money in your bank account can't fix it. The letters behind your name can't change it. You're going to have to learn to do what the psalmist did in Psalm 121. Just lift up your eyes into the hills from which cometh my help, knowing that my help doesn't come ultimately from mama and daddy or my social network. It only comes from the Lord, and you are going to have to learn in those times to be patient. Because the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. So now we come to our text. Our text is a part of a genre of scripture known as the epistles. It's penned by a guy named James, the brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you were to ask, what is the difference between James's epistle and, for example, Paul's epistle? In the original Greek syntax, Greek scholars would tell you what, what the difference is, is that James' letter in the original language of Greek is filled with a higher concentration of imperatives. When you hear the word imperative, think commands. James speaks in commands. His epistle is one command after another command after another. In fact, the whole thing begins with a command when he begins by saying, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, right off the bat, James begins with another command in our text. And it's as if he's grabbing us by the collar, looking us in our eyes and saying, I know you want to hurry up and get there, but I am commanding you, be patient. He's not giving us tweetable advice to consider. He's not recommending. He's not suggesting. He is commanding us, be patient. Now, this is as technical as this little Sunday school lesson gets, but the Greek word translated as two English words, be patient, is actually one Greek word. It is a compound word that simply, it's the word makrothumos, Macro. Thumas, macrothumas. Can you say that with me? Macrothumas. Macro, um, the prefix means long, and, and thumas, it's from that uh, Greek word thumas that we get the English word thermometer from, this, this instrument we use to, to measure heat. Thumas literally means anger. So literally, macrothumas means that I'm in a situation uh, where, where I'm, I'm tested towards anger. It, it literally means to be long towards anger. It was D.A. Carson, that great New Testament theologian there at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, in his wonderful book, Scandalous, D.A. Carson says, the reason why we Christians never, ever, 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 ever pray for patience is because we are theologically astute and sophisticated enough to realize that embedded and implicit in the very request for patience lies another request, and that is, God, put me in a situation I don't like. Because we understand you don't learn patience when the money is flowing. You don't learn patience when the health is going well. You don't learn patience during those rare seasons when the kids are being compliant. 
You don't learn patience when the career is just trending in this upward trajectory. Prosperity is a horrible teacher. You only learn patience when you wake up one morning and there's a lump on your breast. You have to go to the doctors and they run tests and you wait for results and you got to do a biopsy and the biopsy reveals cancer and you meet with the oncologist and you learn patience when you go on that annual physical brothers and it's just an annual physical and a couple days later they call you and they say we're looking at your blood work and the PSA, PSA levels seem to be elevated and you go back in and they run more tests and you wait on results and find out there's prostate cancer. You only learn patience, ladies, when once again you're invited to be a bridesmaid and you've got to put that hideous dress on. And you've got to stand in line. I know what you're thinking. She ain't even as cute as me. I want to be careful with that. That single people, the end zone is not getting married. So many single people just... Think if I could just be married. You need to know there's so many married people saying if I could just be single. You only learn patience where no, you weren't the perfect parent, but you've done the best you could. And that child is off in the far country, living the life of a rebel. And you've screamed and you've yelled. And you have to learn to parent from your knees. And trust God. You only learn patience when you work in that dream job and all of a sudden you walk into that company and there's the pink slip and there's your season of unemployment and, and now there's too much month at the end of the money and you're going into interview after interview after interview and you're like, if someone else tells me that I'm overqualified, I'm going to lose my mind up in here, up in here. Macrothumos. All right, Brian. Well, well, well. Thank you for that. Um, you know, that's that's very kind of in the clouds. But but I, I need something really practical. What is this kind of patience thing? Is it just kind of passive resignation? G give me something I can sink my teeth into. What does biblical patience really look like? Well, it, James says you're asking good questions because if you want to know, if you want to know what biblical patience looks like, look to the farmer. That's what he says. The kind of patience that glorifies God, look to the farmer. And this is a telling visual because no farmer goes to his barren field right before harvest time, looks down at his barren field, then up at God and says, God, in the name of Jesus, I command corn. Waiting on you, God, corn. Right now, name of Jesus. It's not what the farmer does. You know, the farmer goes to their barren field and they... They plow and plow and plow and sow and sow and sow and cultivate and cultivate. Back-breaking work, sun up to sundown, week in to week out. And they do all of this understanding that unless God sends the rain, my labor is in vain. So that the farmer teaches us that patience is never passive resignation. 
Instead, patience is active participation. It is me doing everything that I can. It is me doing my something, begging God to add his something to my something, because then we'll have something. Of course, the biblical example of this is Paul. Oh, don't you realize Much of Paul's ministry is in the crockpot. It's macrothumos. He writes a series of letters. They're called the prison epistles. And when Paul gets to prison, he doesn't throw a pity party. He says, I'm in this situation. I can't get out of it. Like that oyster, I might as well make the most of it. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? There's There's some Christians in churches I want to write and encourage. And so he writes and he writes and he writes. And then you read each of those letters, we see one thing he does and something else. In each of these letters, he says, I want you to know that while in prison, I've been praying for you. So in the crockpot, he's writing and praying and writing and praying. And then to the Philippians, he says, thank you so much for praying for me. But I want you to know, since I've been here, the gospel has gone forth throughout the whole Praetorian Guard unbelievable. The Praetorian Guard, two individuals who are chained to Paul, as if he goes, man, we're kind of stuck to each other. Let me, let me tell you about Jesus, and you about Jesus, you roll off, two more come on, tell you about Jesus, you roll off, two more, and I've run out of people to share Christ with while in the crock pot. Can I say something to you in love, and I, I, I know I'm not your pastor, When you go through things, when I go through things, it's so easy to turn inward. So easy to throw a pity party. And listen, yes, you cry. Yes, you lean into community. Yes, you get therapy. Yes, and amen. But at some point, you have to say, I'm here. How can God get the most of it? I pastored in Memphis for a lot of years, and I'm a Delta guy, um, which, which means that um, I was always flying through Atlanta. In fact, in Memphis, we have a saying that the way to hell will have a layover in Atlanta. <laughs> so I remember one time I was, you know, in Memphis and had to fly up north to Chicago, but because I'm a Delta guy, I know it makes total sense. I had to first fly down south to Atlanta before I could fly up north, pass over Memphis to get to Chicago. And so I fly down south to Atlanta, change planes, and, you know, there's some mechanical difficulties. We get kind of a late start coming out of Atlanta, going to Chicago. I'm starting to look at my watch, and I'm going, man, this is going to be tight because we're going to land at O'Hare, and then I've got to, you know, I've got to hurry up and probably deal with a little bit of traffic because i got to speak at an event that evening. And so, man, you know, we get to Chicago. I'm looking at my watch, and God bless the pilot unsolicited. God bless the pilot's heart unsolicited in Chicago's airspace. The, the pilot just decides to give us an aerial tour of the city of Chicago. I mean, we just start going around and around and around and and I am losing my mind up in here up in here I'm like what in the world is going on why don't they just waste they're wasting my time why don't they just land the plane well immediately I understood what was happening we were in what's called a holding pattern 
The idea of a holding pattern is there are some individuals who sit up high in the tower. They have access to information that we don't have. They see what we can't see. They're in communication with the pilot, and they understand if actually we landed the plane on my timetable, it would do us incredible harm. So that holding pattern was was not for my frustration. There was something else going on. It was actually for my good. Ever felt like, I guess I'm trying to say, that you've been in one of life's holding patterns? You keep going around and around and around, and you're like, God, I, I am ready for you to end this. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to kind of turn the page. I'm ready to go to the next, God, land the thing. But we have to trust that God sits up high. He sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. As my grandmama used to say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Oh, I love this. James says, oh, by the way, when you're in your holding pattern, do not grumble. I ain't hear no amens on that one. And I told the first service, you know, preaching in a crowd like this, I I always preach longer because I never know if you're getting it. Black church, it's easy to tell if you're doing well or not. So y'all going to make me add another 15 minutes, y'all. Say, amen, preach it, brother. When you're ready for me to end, say, land the plane. We'll land the plane. Do not grumble. Here, here is James. He's, he's writing to a Jewish diaspora, ethnic Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they're scattered abroad. And I imagine that when these ethnic Jews who have just converted to Christianity, when they read do not grumble. Immediately, they had to have thought of their ancestors in the wilderness experience, where, where the journey from Egypt to the promised land was only supposed to take six weeks, but it turns into a 40-year holding pattern. Why? Murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. And God is saying, we should have been there 39 years and 46 weeks ago. See, James is telling us that patience is not just physical. It's your attitude. And if you understand anything about God in the Exodus event, God doesn't like grumbling the same reason why we parents don't like it when our kids grumble to us because the basic message of grumbling is this, I know better than you. Grumbling is an attack on the sovereignty of God. I had a friend of mine, he became the youngest pastor in the history of this church some years ago. We sat down about three months into his tenure. I was telling the group yesterday, I says, how's it going? And with a straight face, he says, how's it going? I need to be doing 10 funerals, and it'll be going really well. He just painted a picture of older church people who just murmured and grumbled. Church people have the market cornered on grumbling. It just drives me nuts. You'll grumble and complain and grumble and complain and grumble and complain, and you'll be back next Sunday. 
I'd love to tell you, you have options. The problem with the church is it has way too many old people and not enough patriarchs and matriarchs. There's a difference. A patriarch and a matriarch, they leverage the spiritual odometer of their journey with Jesus to invest in up-and-coming generations for a time they will not see. If you are 60-plus years of age, you need to be holding court at the local diner with a long line of young people who are begging to get pearls of wisdom from you. And if that's not happening, it could be. You're not filled with the landscape of joy. You are filled with bitterness. I once sat with an older woman, and she sat in my office. Her son had just got married, and she was upset. I said, what's wrong? She says, my new daughter-in-law, she has ruined my Christmas picture. Wow, this is going to be interesting. I says, well, tell me about that. Every year on spring break for years, we go to the same beach. We do the same thing. Wednesday of that week, our whole family puts on white linen. We go to the beach. Just as the sun is setting, the photographer comes out, takes the picture. That picture then becomes our Christmas picture. But this woman doesn't want to go to the beach with us. And I'm saying, I wouldn't want to go to the beach with you either. (laughs) I once went out with a young lady. And she grumbled and complained the first time, first day. And I just remember thinking, ooh, nothing in me says, can we do this again? (laughs) Grumbling is not cute. What's your attitude? That's why James says, count it all joy. Joy is an act of divine protest which says I will not be enslaved to my circumstances. Then he ends by saying this. He says in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I was telling the first service, my youngest son thinks he's God's gift to basketball. If you were to walk into his room ever since he came into this world, just as a little kid, he's always had these posters. Um, There's Michael Jordan, train up a child in the way he should go. (laughs) There's LeBron James, parenting fail. There's Stephen Curry. There were times I'd walk into his room and and he wouldn't see me and I could just see him looking at the posters and then grabbing his basketball and going to the driveway and just shooting hoops. These, These posters inspire him. James says, when you find yourself in the crock pot, yes, sit with community, yes, meet with your pastor, yes, sit with a therapist, 
But don't forget, lining the walls of the crockpot are patience posters. They're called the prophets. The prophets are God's divine show and tell for what patience looks like. There's Ezekiel. God comes to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, my people don't get it. They're going in and out of relationship with me. They don't understand my immutability, the fact that I don't change. So I want to use you as my divine show and tell of my patience with my people. Here's what I want you to do. Strip down naked, leave on your loincloth, lay on your left side. How long, Lord? 390 days. Don't move because I don't move with my people. Do you not realize you are breathing today because of the patience of God? If God ever got impatient with you, you'd be done. We take Hosea, we talked about in the first service. Marry this woman. She's, she's a woman of the night. I want to use that marriage as an illustration of my marriage with you. And when she leaves you, I need you to do to her what I do to you. Every time you sin, go again and go get her. Patience. And then he mentions the number 23 of patience, Job. Here's Job. Loses his job, his business. Goes to a funeral with 10 caskets. Each casket holds one of his kids Parents aren't supposed to bury kids covered from head to toe with boils. His wife is saying, curse God and die. He's in the crock pot. And yet he has the audacity to say in Job 19, I know my Redeemer lives. Job teaches us something valuable. When going through tough times, when in life's crock pot, Always let what you know about God trump how you feel about God. It's as if Job is saying, I feel discouraged, but I know he lives. I feel depressed, but I know he lives. I even feel despair and despondent, but I know he lives. Then he ends by saying, You've seen the purpose of the Lord. There's a purpose to the cancer. There's a purpose to the rebellious child. There's a purpose to the layoff. There's a purpose. I grew up in Atlanta, home of the world champion Braves. My mother had an annoying hobby growing up, cross-stitching. I hear cross-stitch. Cross-stitching involves taking a piece of cloth and weaving thread in and out of it. I call this annoying because mama would always cross-stitch sitting on the sofa. And as a little boy, I'd always watch her cross-stitch sitting at her feet, which means I I would watch her cross-stitch from the bottom up. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody cross-stitch from the bottom up. I know I'm in the Midwest, although Indiana, it feels Midwest, but it feels Southern. That's... And there would be times I'd watch Mama cross-stitch, and all I would see was dangling threads, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. And it felt like Southern idiom, I don't know if you'll get it, it felt like Mama's cheese had slid off her cracker. 
And mama would do this for hours. I remember one time going, mama, mama, I just don't get it. You, you do this, I don't see any, any, any rhyme or reason. I don't see any purpose to it. And mama didn't say anything. She just patted on the sofa next to her and invited me to sit down next to her. And what I saw totally changed everything because I no longer saw things from the bottom up. I now saw things from the top down. And there was beauty and an image, form taking shape. Isn't that the problem with life? The problem with life is the problem of perspective. We see things from the bottom up. And we go through things in our limited perspective. Dangling threads, chaos, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. It feels like God's cheese. It slid off its cracker. God is saying, if you could sit down next to me, you will see. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. If you could sit down next to me, you would see that he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. If you could sit down next to me and see, you would say what Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But you'll never get there without macro thumas. Be patient. I want to pray for you. I don't know how y'all roll around here. But sometimes we hear the word of God and we go, it's a good word, it's just not where I'm at. I'll put it in my savings account and withdraw it later. But other times we hear the word and it's what we would call a word in season. It's right where I'm at now. I'm not going to pass the microphone or have anybody testify. But if you would say, right now, I'm in a crock pot. Would you stand to your feet? I'd love to pray for you. If you go, that's just me right now. I'm, I'm in a crock pot. Yes. 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 Prayer is a team sport, and so I want to encourage you, if there's someone standing near you, you have freedom to stand with them, to stretch a hand towards them, to put an arm around them even. But will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. The body of Christ is so amazing. I haven't seen these people before, but we're family. I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus as they are standing as a vulnerable testament.
to the fact that they are going through something right now. I offer three quick prayer requests for them. Lord God, I think of Psalm 8. And the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Lord God, I, I pray that my brothers and sisters who are standing, may they know that you know. That you are mindful of them. Jesus, you said in the Sermon on the Mount, not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your Father knowing about it. God, you know. You know about what we go through. May we not lose sight of that. You see. Not only that, the psalmist secondly says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And this is the part that blesses me, or the son of man that you care for him. God, not only do you know, but you actually care. You care about the wayward child. You care about the financial situation. You care about the job hunt. You care about the problems and pressures I'm going through. You care about the health crisis. God, you care, and we rebuke the enemy right now who would seek to whisper in our ears, God doesn't care. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God, you care. And so, Lord God, I, I end by this, this third request. I am not quoting a prosperity preacher. I'm not quoting televangelist, I am quoting our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So Lord God, we ask right now, would you heal the health crisis? God, we ask right now in the name of Jesus, would you return the wayward child? God, we ask in the name of Jesus, would you step into those broken places? Would you replenish the finances? Would you provide the job? Would you step into and fix the situation we are asking you for in the name of Jesus? You are a good father. But in the meantime, in between time, would you strengthen our resolve to macrothumos, to be patient, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.